Before we get there, we will briefly review what we have studied for the past several weeks regarding the tabernacle written of these last 16 chapters of the book of Exodus, Exodus 25, all the way through 40. And we have seen in our time together, it is clear that the record God gives us both the pattern of the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle. Again, these last 16 chapters of the book of Exodus, it has typical significance. It's there for a reason. There's something for us to learn. There is something that is there to instruct us and to teach us and to help us. And Lord, put it there in the Bible because there's meaning that is hidden just beneath the surface. And just like almost everything else in the Bible, we quickly find that meaning has to do with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There are also really important lessons for us about salvation and about the Christian life and just where we've been so far. The stated purpose of the tabernacle was for to provide a place for God to dwell with man and a place for man to approach to God. And, and, and in its very purpose, we see the picture of Jesus Christ. He is God dwelling with man on the earth in a human body. And he is also the means whereby sinful man approaches to a holy God. That is his mediatorial work as our Savior, our intercessor, our Redeemer, and that's pictured by the tabernacle. We see uh, this in the tabernacle's relationship to the law, the structure of the book of Exodus. Tabernacle speaks of salvation. Before we learn about the tabernacle, we have the giving of the law. The law precedes Christ. The law precedes salvation. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's pictured by that linen hanging around the court of the tabernacle that forces you to go in by the only means of access, the only means of entrance, the door, which pictures Jesus Christ. Why do I have to come to Jesus Christ? Because the law teaches me I can't get to God on the basis of my righteousness or my goodness. There is a mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would dwell. And that mercy seat teaches us, it reminds us that in order to access God, we must have mercy because, because we stand guilty and condemned. So just the, the, the purpose of the tabernacle, the structure of the record here in Exodus, it all points to Jesus. Once you come through the door, now we, now we start to talk about the, the vessels, the, the articles, the furniture inside the tabernacle. The first thing you come to is the brazen altar. It, it points to the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way for sinners to come to God. He's the door. He's the only means of access. But you don't access Jesus just by believing that Jesus existed. Not just, not just, not, not just assenting to the fact of his existence. Mormons believe in a Jesus. Catholics believe in a Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a Jesus. Muslims believe in a Jesus. Liberal theologians believe in a Jesus, but we don't just come to God through Jesus. We come to God through Jesus Christ on the basis of his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, his substitutionary Atonement, the composition of that brazen altar, it was made of shittim wood within and, 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 and then gilt about with brass on the outside. That shittim wood points to his humanity, the dimensions five by five by three, point to the fact that God became a man so that he could die. The death, number five, of the Godhead, the number three, is what we learn from 
the brazen altar. Once you get past the brazen altar, before you still out in the court of the tabernacle, you come to the laver. Okay, before the priest could go into the holy place, before the priest could enter the sanctuary, before the priest could go in and minister uh, and, and and serve God in that fashion, he had to stop and wash his hands and wash his feet. And it's a picture of purification. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. But we walk through this world and just like Peter and John 13, we get our hands dirty, we get our feet dirty, we pick up some of the dirt that's around us and we need to confess our sins so that he can forgive our sins and he's faithful and just to do so. We don't get need, we don't need to get saved again, but we do need to, to have this process of purification and cleansing and confession so that we as priests can be fit to go in and serve the Lord. Second Timothy 2 says, we're going to be a vessel in honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. So the brazen altar is a sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. The labor is purification that's needed on a continual basis. Then when we come into the tabernacle, the tabernacle proper, the tent inside of the hangings, it's called the sanctuary. It's divided into two sections. The first section is the holy place. And inside the holy place, there are three articles of furniture we studied. The table of showbread that points both to Jesus Christ as well as to the word of God. That relationship is so strong. Same thing said of the incarnate word. That's Jesus is often said of the living word. That's the scriptures. Both are light. Both are truth. And we could just go on and on down the list. Each This table of showbread points to each in its purity. In the baking that was necessary to bring about the bread, its life-giving power, its reception, its continuation. We talked about that two weeks ago. But before we can go through the veil into the from the holy place into the holy of holies and study the Ark of the Covenant mercy seat, two more articles of furniture inside the holy place. And they would be the candlestick and the golden altar or the incense altar. And those are the two that we'll try to study together in tandem this morning, Exodus 25 is where you are. Look at verse number 31. Exodus 25, verse number 31. The Bible says, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work. Shall the candlestick be made? His shaft and his branches and his bowls, his knots and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches out of the candlestick, out of the one side, three branches of the candlestick, out of the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers, and there shall be a knop under the two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall all be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold, of a talent of pure gold, shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. I'm not sure about you. I read that. I have a difficult time picturing in my mind what this candlestick looked like. I mean, did you follow every detail of the knobs and the flowers and the branches and the... I get lost, okay? And, and, and I've looked at some pictures. I've seen some different artists 
renditions. This morning, I'm not so much concerned about exactly what it looked like and being able to get a mental image of of of, of the decoration and the and the makeup of this tabernacle of this candlestick. What I'm interested in this morning is what can I learn from the passage? And those truths are a lot more clear than maybe trying to, to, to draw you a picture. If I tried to draw a picture, it would be very sad. So this, the, re- re- review what we do know. This, this candlestick has seven branches. It's got a shaft in the middle. On each side, three. So three, three, six, one in the middle. There's seven branches on this candlestick. On those branches, there's this arrangement of knops and flowers and bowls. And those bowls are made like into almonds. And the purpose of the bowls is to hold the oil, which would then be lit to provide light for the holy place. This this tent, this tabernacle, this sanctuary, it had no windows. The only source of light was not from without. It was from within. It was this candlestick in order for the priest to 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 do the service they were ordained to do inside the holy place um, they were dependent upon the light from the candlestick according to exodus 26 35 it was set on the south side of the tabernacle over against the table of showbread so in my mind i, I i've got the table and then right behind it by the edge um, the edge of the tabernacle is where this candlestick is placed the the candlestick pictures christ The candlestick pictures the Holy Spirit. The candlestick pictures the Christian. Quickly, I want to tell you how, but that's not the main thrust of the lesson this morning. Let me me tell you how the candlestick pictures Jesus Christ. In verse 31, we're told that it's made of pure gold. We're told the same thing in verse 36. The candlestick made of pure gold. We've, We've seen this before in the other articles of furniture. This speaks of the holiness and the purity and the righteousness of the Son of God. He is holy and harmless and separate from sinners, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.26. But what's interesting, it's not just made of pure gold, but it is of beaten work, verse 31. It's of beaten work, verse number 36. This gold, it, it was formed and fashioned by by a hammer, by beating, it it points to, reminds us of the suffering of Jesus Christ. We didn't deem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was bruised for our iniquities. Okay, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He's wounded for our transgressions. They they beat him. He was buffeted. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross. This candlestick of beaten work of pure gold speaks to the Holy Lord suffering on behalf of sinners. But then those bowls were made like unto almonds. I don't have time to trace this through the Bible this morning, but almonds are a picture of the resurrection. Okay, Remember Aaron's rod? I believe it's in the book of Numbers 16. Aaron's rod that budded. Number 16, Korah, then the challenge, chapter 17. And Aaron's rod brudded. It, 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 had, it had almond blossoms. Here is life coming from something that's not alive, a stick. He had a rod. It's a stick. It's not connected to a tree. It has no life in it. But life came forth just as when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Here is life coming 
from death. When, when, when the candlestick speaks of knops and flowers and almonds, it's the three different stages of, of fruitfulness. You've got the knop, that's the bud. The bud of the almond. The flower, that's what comes next. You, you see an orange tree when it's beginning to blossom and bloom before the fruit. You've got the flower and then the bowl made like into an almond. That's, that's the fruit. Almonds do grow on trees. The knop, the flower, the bowl. That's the bud, the flower, and the fruit. And it all points to the resurrection. The candlestick also, also pictures Christ in its light. Because Jesus in John 1, 9 is called the true light that lighteth every man that cometh to the world. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But it also pictures the Holy Spirit. There are seven branches of the candlestick. There's about, about four really curious references in the book of Revelation to the seven spirits of God. Have you ever read that? You ever read Revelation and noticed that? Well, what are the seven spirits of God. I don't necessarily have the answer to that. I'm just making a connection between seven branches of the candlestick, seven lights on the candlestick, and the seven spirits of God in Revelation. This candlestick is placed over against the table. On the table are 12 loaves laid down in the configuration of six loaves and six loaves. Again, the showbread pictures the word of God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 66 books of scripture. And over against that, there's this candlestick giving light to the table of showbread. In the same way, the Holy Spirit's ministry to us, the believer, is to illuminate the word of God. John 16, 13 says he is to guide us into all truth. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10 says, God reveals truth to us by his spirit. When we open the Bible, we're not dependent upon our intellect. We're not dependent upon scholars research. We have the illuminating Holy Spirit within us to teach us God's word in 1 John 2. You have the unction from the Holy One. You need not that any man teach you. The one who wrote the book is the one who dwells within. And if you desire to see truth from God's word, then God's spirit will reveal that truth to you. He sheds light on the scripture. It's like the candlestick shed light on the table of showbread. So it pictures Christ. It pictures the Holy Spirit. It pictures the Christian. In its light-giving nature, in its light-giving function. Jesus said this in John 9, 5. He, he, he said, I am the light of the world, but in John 9, 5, he, 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 he clarified, he stipulated, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John 12, 35, he said, yet a little while is the light with you. Well, that little while is, has run out. He, he is no longer in the world, he's seated at the right hand of God. But he didn't leave the world in darkness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he said to his followers, Ye are the light of the world. He said, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. He said, You're the light. You don't need to hide your light. You need to shine your light. You don't, you don't light a match and then cover it. You light, you light a candle and then place it where it, can, where it can give light, okay? 
So let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is heaven. Jesus Christ is gone, but he indwells us, and he wants us to allow him to shine through to a lost and dying world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, and he has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Philippians 2, 15, you be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Jesus, the light of the world is gone, but Jesus, the light of the world lives within and he wants us, he wants us to be his lights in this world. Don't cover it up. Don't put it under a bushel. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's where that comes from. That's actually a biblical song. Okay, Exodus 30. Exodus 30, that's that that's the candlestick. I know we we really rushing through that. There's something else I want to get to this morning. Exodus chapter 30. In the holy place, you have the table of showbread. We we we've seen now you have the candlestick, but then there's another another piece. It's the golden altar or the altar of incense. Exodus 30, verse number one. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon it. Should and wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, the sides thereof round about, the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Two golden rings thou shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for the place of the staves to bear it withal. Thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will, where I will meet with thee. So we, in, in the outer court, we had the brazen altar, five by five by three, a place of sacrifice where the offerings would be made. In the holy place, we have the golden altar, much smaller, one cubit square, two cubits high. This is not a place for animal sacrifice. This is a place to offer incense, just a, a pleasing aroma, a sweet smelling savor. And there are many directions that we can go with that, but we're only going to consider one direction this morning. What does this incense point to or picture? Come with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, come to Psalm 141. Psalm 141 and verse number 1. Psalm 141 and verse 1. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Here's a man talking to God, crying to God, speaking to God. We have a word for that. It's prayer. Verse 2, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. Come to Revelation. We see this again. Revelation chapter 8. David said, my prayers come before God as incense. As incense. Revelation 8 and verse number 3, Revelation chapter 8, and verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. 
upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. What do we learn from the book of Hebrews? This earthly tabernacle was simply a replica of a tabernacle which is in heaven. Okay? It was made after the pattern, not necessarily a blueprint, a model. Okay? So in heaven, there's a golden altar and there's incense that is offered. And that incense is associated with the prayers of God's saints. Not just David, not just the priests of the Old Testament. The Bible says in the New Testament, we who are saved, we are in Christ Jesus, we are saints. And this angel in Revelation 8 is offering the prayers as incense. Again, what's the purpose of incense? It's just, it's something that's pleasing. It's something that's sweet. It was something to cover the stench associated with the sacrifices being made. In the outer court, on the brazen altar, it was just a something that was pleasing, something that was pleasant, something that was sweet. Come with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15 and verse number 8. That's how God describes your prayers. Proverbs 15 he, he compares them to incense. Proverbs 15 and verse number 8. Proverbs 15 verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. The prayer of the upright is His delight. To God, it's like incense. Having his children come to his presence, spend time with him, commune with him, speak to him, talk to him, that pleases God. Romans 8 says, we know not how to pray for as we ought. I think there's a lot about prayer that we just don't know. But, but what we have to understand, according to the Bible, God looks at our prayers like incense. How could God want to hear from me? He just loves us. He desires communion. He desires fellowship. It, isn't that the whole point of the tabernacle? God and man meeting together. Isn't that why Jesus came? So we could have a relationship to God that's not just about dying and going to heaven. God wants a real personal relationship with you today, right now, tomorrow, this week, on a daily basis. God desires communion. God desires fellowship to Him. It's like incense. It will make your life sweet to walk with God, to have a prayer life, to spend time in communion and fellowship with Him. Now, the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament, and, and, and there's so many references, we just don't have time to run them this morning. But the children of Israel, they offered incense continually, over and over, repeatedly. Dozens and dozens of references. But you know what? They didn't offer it in the, in the tabernacle. They didn't offer it in the temple. The Bible says they burned incense on the high places. The Bible says they offered incense unto Baal. Or, or they offered incense 
unto other gods. Jeremiah said, as many as the cities of Israel, so many are the gods to which you offer incense. Okay? What do we see in this? God had a, God had a place for instance, to be offered. God had a golden altar in the holy place where, where there was supposed to be something sweet, something, something acceptable, something pleasing between God and his people. But they replaced that with something else. They had communion. They had fellowship. It was just directed elsewhere. Okay? So let me ask you this morning. Do you have a prayer life? Spend time with God. Is there, is there communication that is taking place? Is there incense that is being offered? Do you know the reality of the sweetness of God's presence? For, for far too many Christians, the answer just it, it honestly is no. But it's not that we don't know how to speak. It's not that we don't know how to relate or commune or fellowship. The reason there's not this kind of incense being offered in this place is that it's being offered elsewhere. Brother David, I just don't have time to pray. What do you have time for? Brother David, I I understand there's a lack of of, of fellowship with God in my life. Yeah, but, but what are you fellowshipping with? What are you spending time on? Did you watch anything on television this week? Did you pray this week? How many movies did you watch this week? Did you pray this week? Uh, Let's check your phone and see the screen time on social media this week. Did you pray this week? We've got time for these things that we think will be pleasing, these things that we think will fulfill us, these things that we think we need to be happy, to be cool, to be accepted, to fit in, to whatever. Whatever the reason is, for whatever we give our affection and attention and time to, if we step back and just look at it a little bit honestly, if, if, if we've got time in our life, for that, whatever it is. But we're not spending time in prayer. We're offering incense in a high place. And that's what the children of Israel did. There is a satisfaction that comes from a relationship with God. It's just unfortunate that God's people look for satisfaction in other places, other areas. Basically, other gods. You know, if you have a problem in your life, I, I will be, I will be more than happy. My wife, we are, we are more than happy. If you, you've got a problem, you've got an issue, we, we would love the opportunity to sit down, talk it through, try to give you some help. All right? We'll listen and, 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 and talk about your problem, come up with solutions. But you know, one of the first things we're going to ask you, and if, if, if you go to Brother James and you want to counsel with the past, you know one of the first things you're going to be asked? Are you spending time in God's Word? And are you spending time in prayer? The reason for that is not that if you do it, you know, tomorrow, then that's automatically going to solve your problem. 
But the reason whenever you come to a, a, a minister with an issue in your life, the reason he's always going to ask you about your relationship with God is that God has the answer to your problem. God has the grace for your problem. But if you're not spending time with them, how are you going to get the answer? How are you going to get the help and grace from God that only God can give when you're not willing to go to God on a daily, continual, regular basis in order to get it? So people come and they ask questions. People come and they have issues and they have problems. And we sit and we listen and we talk and we try to try to be helpful and try to give suggestions. And, and then we say, now this week, you've got to read your Bible. Now this week, you need to spend some time in prayer. And then people are going to go from that and say, it didn't work. All they told me to do was read my Bible and pray. And again, reading your Bible and praying one day is not the magic answer, the magic solution to any problem. What I'm saying is, is, is a relationship with God is going to be the foundation for whatever solution to whatever problem that you have in your life. Make sense? It's fair? Okay. Come to Exodus 30 again and let's, let's finish out that passage. Exodus 30. Verse number seven, he gave a promise, James four, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. But we've got to take some steps in his direction. Look what, look what took place. Exodus 30, verse number seven. This is speaking of the golden altar, the altar of incense. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps... He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So, so that high priest, every day, he would come into the holy place. Every morning, he would dress the lamps and he would burn incense. Every evening, he would light the lamps and he would burn incense. Again, what's the lamp? That's that's God's word. What's the incense? That's prayer. Just, just one more picture here in Exodus 30 of the importance of getting in your Bible and getting alone with God every single day. He came to the holy place. He would dress the lamps. He would light the lamps. Why? Because the priest needed light. To minister in the holy place. You know why you need to get in your Bible? Because thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my fat path. We need God's guidance. We need his direction. We need his instruction. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps, the Bible says. And we need him on a daily basis. We need God's wisdom. We need his help. And this is where we get it. We need that time in prayer. Every morning. He would offer incense. Every evening he would offer incense. The psalmist said, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he will hear my voice. Daniel, three times a day, lifted up his face toward heaven. Jesus, uh, he, he would get up a great while before day so he could spend time alone with his father. And, and if, if, if we're going to be close to God, if, if, if we're going to realize the benefits and blessings of this relationship, then... then We've got to carve out that time somewhere, somehow, someplace 
Just commune with the Lord. Speak to Him. Talk to Him. Offer up some incense. It's convicting to study. It's convicting to hear. It's convicting to teach. Because we have such an incredible privilege. And we've been given this commandment. But if I, if, if, if I were to honestly have to confess my faults and say the weakest area of my Christian life, it would probably have to be that. It's convicting to, to listen to these podcasts and read these stories about men like George Mueller and Hudson Taylor, William Borden, men of prayer, Jim Elliott, men who were serious about, about just spending that time with God. I take far too little advantage of it. I suspect many of you take far too little advantage of it. You know, it's a blessing. We put together a Bible workbook and it thrills my heart. So many of you are faithful, reading your Bible, uh, reading about Christians of the past, memorizing scripture, obviously putting some time into your spiritual life. And the, and the, the, the objective there, obviously, is just to, to lead to a lifetime of habit of spending time with God each day. We're getting ready for a new year. We'll have a, a new Bible workbook, reading programs and memory and, and books to read and Praise God for all of you who are, who are participating, who are faithful, who are regular. I'd like to see more participation. Those of you who, who, who aren't spending time with God each day, that's something you've got to start. It's not too early to start. It's a habit you have to form. But again, the purpose of this, just, just, just so we can have a relationship with God and and and. It's like incense. There's a sweetness to it. There's a blessing to it. And I hope that you'll realize that in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for the reminder we have from these uh, pieces of furniture inside the tabernacle. Lord, of what your desire is, and that's for us to have a relationship with you. What a privilege it is that, that, that we could have it. Lord, we, we desire relationships with others, and, and, and we spend time. In many different directions, Lord, help us not to leave you out of our schedule. God helps to see the importance and the blessing of, uh, of time in the prayer closet and time in the Bible. And Lord, I pray, uh, God, that you'd help us be hearers of this, but then doers of this as well. In Jesus' name, amen.